Uh, let's pray. Lord, as we study the Bible, we ask that we would have insight into this idea of letting people into the space between ourselves and them, charging into the vast space between ourselves and others. Holy Spirit, we need you, and we look forward to what you say to us. Amen. 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 Pastor Moy, shout out to you. He started a backpack outreach a few years ago, a couple backpacks. This year it's up to 250. They gave them out yesterday, filled with school supplies, and uh, it was a huge blessing. I don't have all the pictures. They come through, get their backpack, go through the prayer place, get prayed for, and uh, be told about the love of Jesus Christ. So, Pastor Moy, thank you very much for that. Uh, any moms in the house sending kids back to school pretty soon? Okay, are you like this? Moms be like, back to school time. Yeah, but if you're a student, it's not the same because studying is like student and dying put together. <laughs> and so uh, I hope you have a good time going back to school and enjoy that very much. We do our best work and live our best lives when we charge into the vast space between ourselves and others. I am confident in teaching along this sentence line because I'm convinced you want to do your best work. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and it's not good to get like I am. I'm trying to recover. I'm a recovering uh, perfectionist. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, did any of you ever get a 99 on a test and you were bummed out that you didn't get 100? You know, like you should be like, praise God, I got a 99. But instead you're like, ah, I missed one. And... Uh, and so I, I think you want to do your best work. I think you want to live your best life. Uh, just by the way, great funeral yesterday for Dick Benjamin, 94 years old, lived basically his whole life, every minute of the day for the Lord. It was a grand slam thing, and I was sitting there thinking, he lived his best life. I mean, just fantastic servant of the Lord, humble, kind, anointed, powerful. It's just beautiful to live your best life. And I know there's the temptation to live your half-hearted life, to do your half-hearted work, but you're not that kind. You're the kind that gets up every morning and says, I'm going to do my best work today. I'm going to, I'm going to live my best life today. Well, since we know that, I wonder why do we need to be encouraged then? Why do we need to be encouraged to live our best life? Why do we, why do we need to be encouraged to let a friend into the space between our heart and their heart? I, I know myself, when I was a teenager, my dad was the pastor and uh, our youth pastor, and I would have talked to anybody about my life other than my dad. You know, I, my dad loves me. He loved me. He would have helped me a lot. But something inside of me was like, don't tell dad that you're struggling. Don't, don't tell the youth pastor that you lusted or don't tell that, that you got to look right. You got to, why is it that these people love us? And they are willing to charge into the vast space, but we need encouragement to do it. I don't, I don't, uh, I think I get it. But for example, uh, uh, Celebrate Recovery. This is a great group of people who love to help you come to a place of recovery. If you're in Celebrate Recovery, say aye. It's a good thing, right? But why is it, it takes it takes like three 747 uh, sets of engines to get you to go to your first one. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like you're just, it, it just takes this, well, I said last week, it might be inertia. 
There's just this inertia that keeps us from moving toward relationships that'll help us. I said that it could be caution. Well, I don't know what's going to happen there, and I'm kind of afraid of rolling into there. Or number three, it could be disappointment. I tried that kind of thing, that kind of thing before, and it was disappointing. I'd like to add now two more uh, components to why it might be we need to be encouraged to let somebody into the vast space around ourselves and others. So let's say this is the vast space around you, and this is the vast space around the others. What I want to talk about today is what is in this vast space. What is in the vast space between yourselves and others? Well, before we can even get to this vast space, we have to deal with the first thing on the agenda today, and that is suspicion of the other person. We have, as human beings, a natural suspicion. We have this natural, um, well, I don't know about you. You look a little different, sound a little different, talk a little different, walk a little different, live a little different, whatever. We have this suspicion that I think is part of fallen humanity. And before we can even, before we can even get to where we have a shared space that we need to navigate, we have to overcome this suspicion of each other. I like to tell this story. I went to Walmart a couple months or years ago. I can't remember how long ago, but there were a bunch of thugs in front of the door, Samoan thugs. Their arms were bigger than my waist, and they're like scary dudes, right? So I think, I'll go to Fred Meyer. I'm afraid of these brothers, right? I think, come on, Kent. You're a mighty man of faith and valor. You have an angel on the right and left. Go to Walmart, Kent. I get up to the door. They go, hey, Pastor Kent, how you doing? They go to, they go to MCA Island Revival. So why am I suspicious? Because I have a sinful heart. That's why I'm suspicious. Number one, suspicion we have to overcome is racism. Racism is a, is a huge suspicion that cannot be in the body of Christ. Racism is an incredible sin. And racism simply states that I am measuring you based on a set of preconceived measurements in my heart about your race. And I, I think I can talk racism with you today, having the only white kid in my town for a while and having had a few rough bumps in, in the way. I think, I think I have a little bit of a foundation from which to say racism is a way that doesn't let us come together and do our best lives and live our, our best work. It's a, way to, it's a way to make us suspicious. It's a way to... It's a way to, uh, to put flesh on hearts that aren't pleasing to God. Racism. This lady was uh, burned badly. She got in the shower at a new place and she turned the water on hot. And it was so hot it, it burned most of the skin off of her back. So she was in the burn unit. And a guy named Sarge became her friend in the burn unit. He was burned so bad all of his visible skin had been burned off. And so Sarge is helping this lady and telling her all kinds of stories and telling her all about the beautiful world and how she was going to get skin grafts and she was going to make it. And one day they were talking and she said, you know, Sarge, where'd you go to college? 
He said, I went to Grambling University, man. She goes, that's a black college, isn't it? He said, yeah. What color do you think I was before my skin was burned off? Does it take the removal of skin for Christians to be able to say, racism will not be in the space between you and me? You're my brother, you're my sister, we are the family of God, and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you are you and I am me. I will be a white guy for eternity. I wish I could be a black preacher when I get to heaven they, and, and play the organ both, but I'm going to be a white guy in eternity. I am what I am, and you are what you are. And guess what? God likes it because he says around the throne is every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, all bringing praise to the Lord because... God made us the way we are and he likes it. Amen. Genderism is the next line. Genderism. Well, you know, I can't, I don't have any friends my age. Uh, uh, here's one of the, I was in a jacuzzi in California. This is where I do most of my vacationing is in a jacuzzi. I love hot water. Hot water and me get along good. So this man gets in the jacuzzi. I said, my name's Kent. I'm from Alaska. Paula goes, don't tell people where you're from. They don't care. It's my opening line. I'm Kent from Alaska. He goes, well, I just moved here from Oregon down here. To, I just moved here to California from Oregon. I said, great, why? He goes, I want to be close to my kids. I said, well, that's really cool. How's that going? He goes, their phone's broke. <laughs> I didn't get it. I said, well, is it like hard to fix phones? He goes, I don't mean their phone's broke. I meant the closer I got, the less they want to do with me. You get it? Hey, you're old, Grandpa. You can't keep up. You don't walk as fast. Uh, Oh, boy, I just saw a thing on Facebook. Who was that? Uh, Melania Trump and uh, Rivlin's wife, the, 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 uh, one of the leaders in Israel. They're getting ready to go into a, uh, into a banquet. Uh, Melania Trump and Rivlin's wife. And Rivlin's wife said, I'll be there in just a moment. I can't walk as fast as I used to walk because I have an oxygen tank. And Melania held her hand and said, will go at any speed you want to go at. Right? Ageism. Ageism is like, you know what? Uh, we got to do just songs kids like, man. We just got to have, we just got to be at whatever a 25-year-old likes. We go to 25 restaurants. We listen to 25 this, 25 that. That's great. But at the same time, we can't come and say, you know what? The opportunity for you to be one of the greatest influences in my life I missed because of ageism. Ageism. Now, you probably don't have this deal because you don't do funerals. But I do funerals. And one of the great challenges of my life is not to pull away from the other person the closer they get to heaven. Because I know my heart's going to be broken again. I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weep and I'm going to miss and I'm going to long for. And so I start pulling away from the other based on age and uh, impending death. But the fact of the matter, I think some of you have been there. The last moments of life are sometimes the very best. And to say, you know what? I'm not going to let ageism creep into this space and keep me from hanging out with you. Poppy over here, I love Poppy Welch. He's our oldest man in the house today, I believe, 88 years young. And uh, when we go out, yeah, let's hear it for 88-year-old. Yeah, good. 
I like guys whose age equals my IQ, <laughs> 88. But anyways, uh, when I got called him up, he said, you know, you can't just invite me that quick. I need some time to get ready. And I eat slower than I used to eat. I said, go with Moy. <laughs> he eats slow too, right? I eat fast. But guess what my point is? My point is, ageism says, okay, you eat slower than me, I'm out of here. The body of Christ says, you eat slower than me, I'll eat slow. I'll eat slow. Genderism is the third line. Genderism, all in that same line, under suspicion. You know, I said last week, I would like to reiterate it. The end of affection is not necessarily sexuality. Our culture has sexualized affection. They even call it the sexualization of affection. It doesn't need to be that way. It doesn't need to be that way. Yesterday's funeral for Dick Benjamin was a highlight for me. I had a blast at it. Uh, my uh, buddy, Rick Benjamin, was up there honoring his dad, and his wife, Dolores, did the worship time. She did songs that Dick liked back in the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. And guess what? I can stand here today and say, Kent loves Dolores. I don't love her like a wife. There's no sexuality or sin in my love for Dolores. But genderism would say, hey, you're, 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 you're a different gender than me. You need to, you know, stay away. Uh, brothers, you need to come to a place where genderism doesn't drive you away from the possibility of having one of the greatest friends you ever had in the gender that's different than yours. To have people come along, and, and it was funny, they, they did say yesterday at the funeral, they said Dolores was, Rick's, uh, was Dick's favorite worship leader, and uh, that's pretty cool, because my deal is, I'm try, I was always trying to get him to like women preachers, but he thinks the Bible said women couldn't preach, so all Dolores did was preach through song, and it was cool. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Repent and love your husband. She'd be playing up there. Yeah, find another church. You're ruining this one, or whatever, and... Uh, yeah, every lady here, you can have a man in your life, a friend that's a man in your life without it being sexualized. To just say, this is my friend. And I, I, can't even, I can't even start in this room. Zelda is a very good friend of mine, and Kim is a good friend of mine. I could go through hundreds of people that are friends of mine, but racism, ageism, and genderism tends to separate us out. The second line down is xenophobia, X-E-N-O-phobia, xenophobia. Xenophobia is where you're just afraid of somebody that's different than you. You don't have any particular reason other than they're different. It's just, it's just like a, a fear that somebody's different. And uh, I had a xenophobia deal when I'm trying to do my own sermon. I'm trying to practice what I preach. Uh, I'm trying to practice and then preach. I'm not trying to get a sermon and then practice it. I'm trying to preach out of my life. And I didn't have enough drunk friends. Seriously. All my friends were sober, mostly. And, uh, and so I decided I need some more drunk friends. I need, I need some friends at that bus stop over there. I need some friends. I, I went to a place here on, on, on a Friday, and there's like an 18 or 19-year-old girl passed out in the grass, and every car's driving by her, and she wasn't dressed uh, 
uh, homeless type clothing. It looked like some man had taken advantage of her and drugged her up and thrown her out the door. That's what it looked like. I need some more friends like that. Right? So I, I take this guy. I say, hey, let's go to, let's go to Burger Fight right over here. And he goes, great. He was, he was pretty sober, so I could handle that, right? And uh, he goes, oh, by the way, my girlfriend's joining us. Well, she wasn't quite sober. And I didn't know that. And she had on metal cleats, and they have over there, they have a tile floor. And she was so drunk, she couldn't stand up, and she slipped, and she had a, a glass of lemonade. She hits the table, the table flips over, the lemonade jar shatters. She's laying on the floor, she can't get up. They're all looking at me, and I thought, xenophobia. I'm simply afraid to be with this lady who's different than me. And I said to the ladies, I said, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know that it would be so tough and ruin your business for lunch. And they said, oh, no, thank you for caring. But xenophobia is just that fear of somebody that's, that's different from you. The third line down is ethnocentrism. Ethnocentrism, two big words today. I think you can handle ethnocentrism. It means the way I do it is better than the way you do it. My ethno is the center, not your ethno is the center. And so as you navigate, how are we going to come together and have any meaningful exchange to where the best life comes out of this relationship and where our best work comes out of this relationship? Somebody has to be able to say, I'm not going to let my view of how the world runs uh, interrupt me from being in a relationship with you who have a different view of the way the world runs. So, by, by the way, what's a pastor supposed to look like? Uh, how many, uh, should a pastor wear a suit? Let me see your hand. Pastor should wear a suit. I got a lady here, a suit. Pastor needs to be in a tie. Let me see your hand. Pastor needs to be in a tie. Uh, you like suits and ties. Okay. Pastor needs to wear, you know, I have the funniest thing. I was in, uh, where was I? I was in Maui. I go to Catholic mass because they're the only church that has church every day. So anyways, I go to mass all the time when I'm on vacation. Paula won't go, but I do. And, uh, this guy, he has on a, he has on a robe and I, I think he's behind the altar and the guy's got the cross like this and they do all this really cool Catholic stuff. And when that's over, they leave the altar and they go down the middle. The guy had a cutoff robe and he had shorts and he had sandals on and his dog was under the altar. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what priests are supposed to look like, but if I were preaching today at the Church of God in Christ, I'd wear the robe they gave me. This is what a pastor wears in a different ethno. Ethnocentrism says, well, the way we dress in church is the right way. But when you come along and you say, you know what? If I made everybody here wear, wear this robe, you probably wouldn't really like enjoy it. But when I go to show up with this robe at a Church of God in Christ official event, they go, hey, you're one of us. You know how to dress, brother. You see ethnocentrism? Who decides? Who decides if you have long hair or short hair? Who decides if the music is hymns or choruses? Who decides all this? And so if I want to come into this vast space between me and Mel, Mel Williams, you all know my friend Mel Williams, if I want to come into this vast space between me and Mel on an official Sunday, I need this robe, which is why he gave it to me in the first place. 
Next, let me to be able to be official when it's time to be official. The next line down is talking about maybe we need encouragement because we have bumped into a lack of human graciousness. Have you ever told somebody your struggle only to find out it was on Facebook the same day? Have you ever come to say a prayer and somebody overheard you and now your prayer request became a public act of, uh, of gossip? And you say, you know, you know, I need encouraged to reach out to somebody because in fact, I've bumped into a lack of graciousness in people. Number one, I've bumped into the lack of graciousness of being judged, of being judged. I'm talking to a kid here several years ago, right, right in the front row, and I knew his story. He kept trying to kill himself. He was about 15 years old. I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. I want to kill myself. I, I said, why do you want to die? Long live Madonna. Uh, okay, long live Madonna. Why do you want to die? I just don't want to live. I, I, I want to die. Long live Madonna. I said, stop that. Why do you want to die? He said, because I have homosexual feelings. And I know what Christians do to people who have homosexual feelings. And I'd rather die than be judged by these people. How are you going to get into a space of a 15-year-old who has homosexual feelings if he knows you're going to judge him? How, how are you ever going to get into a relationship where, where he actually says, you know what, Kent, let me just tell you what happened in my life. Can we go to coffee or uh, I don't drink coffee? Can we go out? Can we, can we hang? How, how are we ever going to get past this space that is so key to get past? Because heart to heart is just on the other side of this space. How will we ever get into that part of their heart if they think we're going to judge them for it? Not only judging but if I'm judged, then I'll be excluded. I'll be excluded. I was listening to Tommy Barnett one time, and he was talking about the huge growth of their church. It was called then uh, First Assembly in Phoenix. And they had this ministry where hundreds and hundreds of pregnant teenage girls were being cared for. And, uh, and it was an old guy. I don't even know how old, but let's, uh, I'm 59, so it had to be like 80. But anyways, he was an old guy, probably 60. I don't know. But uh, he came to Tommy Barnett. He said, hey, Tommy, I figured out why Christian teenage girls are aborting. Do you know that a Christian or a churched teen is more likely to abort in the United States than an unchurched teen? It's a fact. He said, Pastor Barnett, I think I got it figured out. He said, what is it? He said, the girls are telling me they'd rather violate their conscience than be excluded from the church's circle of love. Didn't expect to get emotional. Yeah, how am I ever going to bridge this, this gap here? How am I ever going to tell a teenage girl that you mean the world to me? You mean the world to Jesus? You, he loved you. He gave his only begotten son for you. God is crazy about you. And whatever's in your life, I am not going to exclude you. I am not, I'm not in the ministry of exclusion. I hear this at least once a month, maybe more. Pastor, what I'm going to tell you will probably end our relationship because I've been really bad. 
To which I can say, by God's grace, if he helps me, I won't exclude you no matter where you've been and no matter what you've done. Oh, man, I got to tell you my favorite story. Now that I said that line, just popped into my head. I've said it 800 times. I'm going to say it another 800 times. It's in Brazil. And a little girl comes to her mama and she says, Mama, uh, I want to live in the big city, not here in this little village. And mom says, no, if a little girl like you goes to the big city, big mean pimps will get you and you'll be sex trafficked, sweetie. You can't go. But one day mom got up and the girl was gone. She had gone to Sao Paulo, Brazil, a huge city. This broke her mom's heart. Her mom couldn't figure out what to do. So she went to one of those little boxes that they have like in, uh, in malls. You sit in there and you put in some quarters and it takes a bunch of your pictures. And out comes a strip of pictures. And so what mom did is she wrote notes on the back of those pictures. And she went brothel to brothel and she put pictures behind every mirror she could find. And one night, her little girl stumbles into a bathroom and sees a picture of her mom. She picks it up, and she reads and looks at it, and on the back, it says, wherever you are, whatever you've done, come home. I say that to you today. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, we cannot have a hint of exclusion for you for me. Well, if I'm uh, judged and I'm excluded, I'll probably be punished. Number three, I'll be punished. So brothers and sisters, this is further than I got in the first service on this same sermon. I have two more pages to go, but uh, I'm not going to make it today through the whole thing. Brothers and sisters, when we take a look at this, we realize this sacred space between ourselves and others has some stuff that we, we really need to deal with. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the greatest thinker in my view out of Russia in the last 100 years said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties. The line between good and evil passes right through every human heart. So for you to let me into your heart, I've got to let God do some work in my heart. For example, in Colossians chapter 3, it says, you know, for this to happen, there's some stuff in your heart kit you got to put to death. There's some stuff that I don't have time to get to the stuff he wants to add to the space. But for right now, I just have enough time to mention, you know what, Kent? If you really want to really be able to have Chris Roebuck get into your space and you charge together and become a creative pair that does incredible things for God, Kent, you need to, you need to put to death some stuff in you that's earthly. Number one is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Is there a woman in the church that wants me to charge into your life, into that space between you and God, if you have even the slightest hint I'm sexually immoral? 
You don't, you don't want somebody charging into that space if they're immoral. The, the one, here's one that, that uh, really troubled me. One of our young adults a couple years ago, uh, she married her fiance, which is what generally happens. However, he had already beaten her more than once before the wedding. Paul's saying in Colossians chapter 3, you know what? You need to not have any of that impurity and that out of control passion. When you're letting somebody charge into that space in your life, you have to make sure that these people that you're letting into your life have come before a holy God and said, you know what, God? I want you to make me as clean as the blood of Jesus can make a guy. Amen. He says, you know, if, if you think that I have any sexual immorality in my heart and I come up to you and I say, hey, let me into that space between you and God, you have every right to think I'll take advantage of you. But when you come before the Lord and you say, you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the lordship of Jesus over this space. I won't have any covetousness. I won't have any idolatry. Covetousness in this uh, illustration would make uh, I am a means to an end for you rather than being a person. Have you, ever had, have you ever had somebody in your life that you know didn't really love you? They just knew you could help them and so they wanted the help you could give. Here's a story that I think God's helping me with. I have a couple, I have two very rich friends. I have a couple of friends that are rich. I have two friends that are billionaires. And the Lord told me to pray for this billionaire every day. So I told him, I said, the Lord told me to pray for you every day. And I just want to tell you something. Most people want something from you because you're a billionaire. I will never ask for anything from you, but pray for you every day. Friday, I get a call. Hi, my name is Josh. I say, hi, Josh. I'm friends with your billionaire friend. He asked me to call. He wants to do something special for Malden Community Assembly. I said, good. We'll be happy to take it. As long as he knows, the Lord laid on my heart to pray for him and never to ask for anything. Can you imagine? Everybody wants something from you. Can, can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have the other thing? Can I have the other thing? Can I get it? And I'll say, like, am I a human here? Or am I like a vending machine? It says, you know, I'm not an end to a means. I'm a person. I'm a person. Praise God. You good? I got two and a half more pages to go, but I think you're done listening and I'm done talking. So, uh. all right, my conclusion uh, for today. I'll be back on this next Sunday. My conclusion is the answer to racism, the answer to genderism, the answer to ageism, the answer to xenophobia, and the answer to ethnocentrism. Are you ready for my great big scientific study? The answer is friendship. It's not complicated. 
So when you hear that uh, pastors killed in Burkina Faso, how many of you care? Let me see your hand. You care? It's because you know somebody there. You have a friend there. Oh, a plane crashed on their way to wherever today. Oh, I don't have any friends on a plane going to wherever today. You have a friend flying that route and a plane crashed? You really care. Max Wiltshire said this, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I know what you do, Muldoon. You get in your plane in Jerusalem and you fly over Samaria. You fly over Judea. You land at the end of the world. He said, God wants you to stop flying over Judea and Samaria and he wants you to walk outside of these doors and he wants you to have real flesh in real time with the real people who live in your Judea and your Samaria. You? Do you have the faith to make a friend in somebody who's very different than you? You know what I'm talking about? Well, my... I'm kind of busy. That's got to go. You're too busy. Well, I'm scared. Uh, I don't speak their language as well. And, and Max Wilshire, he even got on this. He said, he said, you know, you need to bring some of the homeless into your house. I know what you're thinking. They'll steal grandma's knickknacks. <laughs> he said, that's fine and dandy. Because grandma's knickknacks aren't going to eternity, but the people who might steal them are. Say, now, I I have a a master's degree in cross-cultural leadership. So this is kind of my thing I study. My professor on this class disagrees with me. She says, Dr. Paula says, to notice race is racist itself. I think that without noticing race, I'll never be the man God wants me to be. So, for example, uh, I want an Iranian friend. I want somebody from Iran that's my friend. Not, I'm not going to try to convert him right away. I just want a friend. You know what I'm saying? I want a friend. What's the likelihood of that happening if I don't make it intentional? Zero. Unless I live in Iran, but I live in Anchorage. It's zero. So I don't think there's anything wrong with me getting in my little car, going to an Iranian restaurant, and sitting down and saying, hey, where are you from? My wife goes, nobody cares. I go, I can't from Anchorage. Where are you from? My wife goes, nobody cares where you're from. They didn't ask. I said, it's my opening line. Give me a break. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I went to the Ethiopia restaurant over here on Northern Lights. That's why I went to the Turkish restaurant over here on Northern Lights. That's why I went to the Bombay restaurant uh, over here on Northern Lights. Because I'm looking for friends that are different than me. All right? Praise God. Are you playing the song I think you're playing? And friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the 